Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Kristen Lighty of the Bloody Mary podcast. Hello. Yay! Yay! <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm here. I have a cat on my lap. I am super excited. The requisite cat. And what does requisite mean? What is the uh, word it's requisite? Like, it's like required. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. I just was making sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I get self-conscious about that sometimes. Anyway. Um, we're so, I, I find myself doing this preface a lot now for some reason, which, which is cool. It's cool to, to like have something happen where like, oh, I guess I have follow through where like, we've <laughs> had a bunch of people. I like added a, like a year ago, did a spree of adding people, um, and on Facebook, on Facebook. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't said that yet. Um, I assume because I've, I feel like I've done this on the podcast now, like five times where people get this introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's how I found out about your work, and then um, you found out about it recently. Yeah, I was, um, we had just talked to Ashley Ray, who you've mm-hmm. had on your mm-hmm. podcast, and I was on Ashley's website, just kind of like, stalking her. <laughs> she is very stockworthy. Yeah, She writes so many great things. Oh, I know. And uh, I I was looking on podcasts, podcasts, because I was like, I wonder what other podcasts she's been on. And then I saw that she had been on yours, and I was like, I feel like I've heard of this one. And then I looked at it and was like, damn, this looks cool. I'm going to message her. <laughs> yeah, it's a really Thank cool you. concept. So, Thank like, you. Do you mind telling us a little bit about it in your own words? No, I'm excited to. Uh, Bloody Mary is a podcast where I have a guest on. It's usually a comedian or maybe like a dominatrix or a college professor. Uh, and we talk about their favorite horror movie. And it isn't so much about, like, facts or actors, but it's like, why is this your favorite horror movie? What does it mean to you? Uh, you know, and then we talk about the themes within the movie in more of a metaphorical sense of, like, in regards to feminism, sexuality, race, class, things like that. And it's basically just me tricking people into talking about horror movies with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I that's super interesting, because, like, I think... Um, I have a deep respect for everyone I know that loves horror movies, but I it's I always have a hard time with them. But I also find that it's super interesting to take them and have that that lens with them. You know, there's a couple movies I've seen. Well, you know what movie I'm thinking of now off the top of my head of the um oh what is it the the cabin cabin in the woods cabin in the mm-hmm. woods where they like take the whole because like the tropes of horror movies are very, so so this is actually what I mean to say is um. It seems like you do you have you found kind of like especially with the kind of folks that you have on the show have you found like trends of what kind of horror movies and do they tend to follow the horror movie tropes I am actually always really surprised by what everyone picks like there was one movie <laughs> like I don't ever want to talk about this movie I was thinking to myself when I started the podcast and then I think it was like the third one in my friend Kristen Lumberg was like I want to talk about the hills have eyes and I was like god damn it like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know it's surprising to me as much as I love horror most of the movies people pick I either haven't seen or I have to refresh myself with just because mm-hmm. there is so much out there mm-hmm well, what is your favorite horror movie? Ooh, I got a couple. Um, def- um, I like a lot of psychological horror, like man versus himself kind of genre. Um, so The Orphanage is definitely... I love Guillermo del Toro's Spanish language films. They're so good. But like mm. his English language films are just not, not great. <laughs> <laughs> I went and saw Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which is about like these tooth 
fairy monsters. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the film, this teenager stood up and was like, this movie sucks, (laughs) y'all. And she got applauded. (laughs) Uh, And then also, I really love Night of the Living Dead. I think George Romero was a genius and just like someone I'd really want to be friends with. And he always had a theme within his movie. You know, it was never just zombies. Mm -hmm. And then... uh, as far as like contemporary current is your next i love that movie uh erin is a personal hero i love her character and yeah so those are like my top three wow i so it's funny we're we are talking to the host of a horror movie appreciation podcast and neither of us can really handle horror movies but i will say the one horror movie that i love and like will watch over and over again is psycho Oh yeah, I fucking love Psycho. I like mm-hmm. did a I did like a presentation on it in college, and it was so so cool. And I, I'm wondering because because I'm because I'm easily scared because I'm a big baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know that much about horror, and so I'm wondering if you could tell me like if there are different like if there are different like genres within horror, and kind of like. If if there are kind of, if there are different eras in like horror movie making, like if there's like the golden age of horror, or if there's like slash, you know, the eighties were like slasher, mm-hmm. and then it moved into another. Or yeah, I think you know horror, much like sci-fi, is very it's it's an artistic medium that expresses what's happening in society. A lot of the eighties was also like the satanic panic stuff happening. So mm-hmm. uh, about slashers who are also cultists, you know. Um, I, you know, I'm not too schooled on, like, specific genres in accordance of where they land historically. Um, one thing I will tell you, though, is critics universally always hate horror, and uh, it's like an <laughs> underdog genre. Mm-hmm. Like, Get Out is a fantastic film. It's a great statement on race relations. And these award shows had nowhere to put it. Like, it got nominated as Best Comedy. I think it was, like, the Golden Globes or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's just kind of showing how these award shows are outdated and useless, I think, personally. I know I'll probably get a lot of hate mail on that, but... Uh, <laughs> no, uh, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take some of that hate mail, too. <laughs> I haven't watched an award show in, like, three or four years. I know. I don't get it. Like, yeah. we, have a, we have such access to technology to find new art and see what we like for ourselves. Like, I don't need someone to tell me what to like anymore. You well, know? that's an interesting... I Like, that lens is a really interesting thing with my relationship with horror, where I feel like I've probably seen a few horror movies, but I haven't seen... I definitely am not an expert in horror movies, and I haven't seen most of them. But I've seen... And I, I wonder... I guess my curiosity is, as a person now who's talked to multiple people about, like, what do, to what degree of horror movies they know like do most are most of your guests like very literate in horror films or or do do you kind of does it like span that kind of spectrum of it's got a real spectrum like i had professor carrie callis from columbia on who teaches Mm -hmm. a course on horror films and uh particularly she even teaches one specialized just in vampire movies oh cool yeah so she like knew everything uh but then i've had people on you know like dan ortiz who's a chicago comedian who's like i hate horror i've only seen like two in my life i'm doing this podcast because i like you (laughs) 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 so it really like runs the gamut uh you know and then like my roommate who i've been like dying to have on she's an author and a trans woman and she is just like she will school me up and down like italian horror australian horror and i'm just like oh what (laughs) (laughs) cool wow i'm wondering um what so you you mentioned specific 
types of folks that you have on the show. You have comedians, you have dominatrix, you have um, college professors. Do you, are those kind of like the three demographics that you choose to have on the show or is that just who you've had on so far it's who i've had on so far and mainly i just kind of like do inventory of who i know Mm -hmm. and who um you know a lot of times it's just like i meet someone we start talking and then i'm like oh you should be on the podcast and it kind of like there's a little light bulb on my head um sometimes it's uh i don't do conferences a lot um but i'll meet people there who are kind of you know into horror uh honestly like I kind of like having people on that are kind of separated from horror yeah. as an industry because I think their takes are more personal. That from that's I think that's an interesting thing about like when I first heard your format, I was like, oh, that's because that feels like a thing that would be really powerful because I I do feel like I mean I think that there are a lot of people that are like horror experts and like of course folks that are like I, that's an, a very interesting conversation but it's um, that there are so many people that have that um their relationship with certain horror movies is so personal and I mm-hmm. I think that there's something to be said about like like the idea of B movie generally that that lends itself to that and I I don't really know it's something I think we haven't really figured out how to put into words besides just being like, oh, that's a, that's not a, that's not something that, that, that goes to the, like, it's just something, like, exactly how you said, like, how award shows don't even know how to, like, nominate it. It's like, it's something that, have we just not figured out how to put it into words yet? Like, what exactly, what kind of cultural space it exists in? Like, Yeah, and this is kind of something I've been thinking about lately, is the idea that, Horror is, it's an art form, but it's also very reflective of what's happening in society mm-hmm. at that time. So, like, because it's a horror movie, we can critique it. Uh, but realistically, we're actually critiquing maybe that time and moment of our history. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly about an article my roommate just wrote about how it's time to examine transphobia, transphobia in horror movies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, a lot of times in horror films, something will be othered that is scary, you know, like Native Americans, uh, like poltergeists and all that, mm-hmm. uh, or mental illness a lot of times is seen as like, oh, they're a serial killer and they're going to, you know, but it's actually mental illness that they're talking about. So like we have this unique power now to look back and dissect it and be like, oh, this is what people were afraid of. This is what they were making monsters out of. Right. And now we can try and move forward. Um, so it's kind of like weird social progress through a mask. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's super, that's super interesting to me because like the ableism conversation is pretty recent, isn't it? As far as like, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a oh yeah. And as someone who uh, is currently walking with a cane uh, and has limped for numerous years, I have to tell you, like people have such judgments about that. It's such a there's so much hung up on it. You mm-hmm. know, like we just recently stopped trying to use like ableist language to some like, but that's it's it's it's. You know, all it's like, very deeply ingrained to the mm-hmm. point where finding replacements for those words was we had to like spend a day being like, 
don't know what's going to be my replacement for saying something is crazy. Like, mm-hmm. are we like um, I said? Se- I eventually settled on wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's uh, and like kudos to you guys for doing that work and thinking about it like that. Um, but like, oftentimes, you know, me personally, like I didn't really think about it until it directly affected me, and I was like, yeah. oh, the world sucks. Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's um, I I'm interested, I, like because this is really the only horror movie that I've latched onto. Like for me, um, the the overriding like what you know what we're supposed to be afraid of is independent women. Oh yeah, is that's such, a good one. Which is such a 1960 fear because mm-hmm. it's like the woman who gets killed right off the bat. She like she gets killed because she steals money from her job and then books a motel room by herself. Scandalous. And, like, she like buys her own car and tra- drives by herself and you know is tra- and it's like that's what we're supposed to like. She's the bad. I mean, other than the killer, she's the bad guy. You mm-hmm. know, because she's independent and has a job. Mm-hmm. She's just asking for it. I know exactly. <laughs> and so I think it's and I. <laughs> Uh, I I think it's something that um again because I am not a part of the horror appreciator society not that this is not that this exists but because I don't like horror movies <laughs> um it's not something that I thought of that um the subject matter is reflective of you know what we're currently as a society afraid of well i think it's the okay so i i'm gonna and I, i'm sorry that i keep making the the episodes this week about the editorial but something that because I, I just keep getting messages from people being like um i'm talking about the uh racism and opera um editorial um but but the reason why i'm bringing this up is because i think that um I got really self-conscious about bringing it up, and now I completely forgot what I was going to say. It's okay. No, I got it. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think that um, we've... Uh, it's really easy to... Um, especially when you're trained in a field, right? And I feel like I, I wonder how much this applies to something like horror. Um, to, uh, to label feminist and uh, racial awareness and uh, gender uh, normativity critique... Um. Uh, as like postmodernism, you know, like oh, this is just postmodernism gone amok, you know. And I think that um, that's an interest, a really interesting, like horror. I mean, I think film in generally, but horror especially, like, like applying this lens to it is such an interesting, interesting thing because of the, of the years in which we've had film to analyze, you know, like we've like film really has to like taken off in its own way in like the last few decades um and there's so much civil issues that have happened in the last few decades and so i think that um you know well, analysis- in the last century yeah absolutely yeah um sorry i'm exhausted um <laughs> i just i think that um i think that lens is super interesting and i guess um you know, do you find that, uh, like, do you find it informs the horror more, or do you find that it informs the, um, it informs your, for lack of a better way to put it, politics more, or do you, is it kind of like, 
a give and take? I think it's a give and take, to, uh, definitely, because uh, as a person, I've just been, not always, but I've had a comfortableness with sitting with uncomfortable things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I think horror is like the movie art form that takes you there. And like, you know, there's power in that you can turn it off and walk away. But um, like, to me, it feels exciting to examine those feelings. And um, this isn't sounding incredibly pretentious now. Uh, no, <laughs> please. Uh, but I think, you know, for me, it ties in with my life because I, for the past 10 years, I've been a union organizer and um, a big part of my job, nearly all of my job, is conflict and figuring out how you sit with it, how you navigate it, and how you move forward. And I think horror is the art form that does that as well. Mm-hmm. And especially, I just love how so many horror movies are like such beautiful metaphors for organizing. Like, there's a group of people, they identify the problem, they work against the problem, and you know, most of them win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's super interesting too because, like, horror does also kind of have like a fringe reputation in the same way that like unions can like i and i don't i don't know why that it like well and i'm because when you think about it like the times that people gather in like you know gather to discuss you know or to absorb like both horror movies and to like meet about forming a union it's like at night in secret. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Make sure no one sees you. No yeah. one's watching you. Well, okay, so I have a... Come to the theater at midnight. <laughs> yeah. One thing we also ask, talk a lot about on the show is um, Chicago is a space for, as a space for creation and as a space for, um, for this kind of thing. And I think that this is particularly interesting, like something I think about a lot, um, you know, like in the last year or two, I've really like started doing uh, research and understanding of Americans, spe- America's specific socialist history. Mm-hmm. And it's super interesting um, realizing how much the Midwest really formed that, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, um, so I guess my, my curiosity for you, like what, especially how it relates to horror, like what has, doing this in Chicago and and experiencing horror in Chicago been like? Hmm. So I actually grew up in Northeast Wisconsin in Green Bay. Oh, cool. And I fell in love with horror because my grandfather owned a video store and he would babysit me after school. So anything I wanted to watch was like that I got to pick whatever I wanted, like blood-sucking freaks and <laughs> like mm-hmm. anything, <laughs> no no censorship whatsoever, because it was easier than like talking to me about my parents' divorce or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, ah, uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have feelings. Nah. Um, so moving to Chicago was like such a huge eye-opener. Like I did not know... I didn't know I could be anything that I am now growing up in Green Bay. I didn't know organizing was a job that you could get paid for. I didn't know that regular people could be stand-up comedians. I thought that was something, you know, like, I don't know, you're just born into a special HBO family and then you get a special. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and even, like, podcasting, like, I didn't, I never, granted I left Green Bay like 10 years ago, but Chicago is really the catalyst that just opened my doors wide open. How did you uh, how did you get the idea for this podcast? That is such a good question. Um, hmm. You know, it was two years ago. No, almost three now, actually, that I started thinking about it. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you remember... So, do you... Uh, do you remember when you first sat down to record? Do you remember the planning period of how you were going to record it, even just logistically? It's always an interesting story. Oh, yeah. At the time, I had two mics that I just shoved into my Mac, and I, I actually bought the most expensive equi- piece of equipment I've ever owned in my life. I bought a new Mac laptop because it had GarageBand on it. Right. And it just felt so formal and like, oh, it's a coming of age moment, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I've never owned a Mac. La- I've never owned a laptop, period. Uh, so then I had the mics and uh, I was so excited. No idea what I was doing, but I was like, it's a Mac. It'll be easy. And I just plugged both mics in. And then I interviewed Kelsey Huff about Jaws, and we probably talked for like an hour and a half. And then I went back to listen to it, and the mics were like vibrating off each other, and it sounded like total garbage. Uh, but she's, you know, she's such a like a well-known Chicago comedian. I didn't want to be like, oh, can you come back to my house and we can redo it because yeah. you missed it up. Um, so luckily, Tom Wisdom, who is another comedian in Chicago, he sat down with it for like. I'd say at least four hours and like went through and fixed it with sound programming and tried to even it out. And it's <laughs> it taught me a lot about editing as we go and checking levels from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a nightmare. And I was really sad. <laughs> like, it shouldn't be this hard. Uh, but yeah, logistically, it was a total nightmare. Well, I, I, I like love hearing about that stuff because... I think that everybody goes through something. Like, I feel like you have to. Like, that I think to me is the beautiful thing about meeting other podcasters. It's like, everybody has that story, you know? Like, <laughs> that time they were like, yeah, I had a really great guest on and I, like, almost embarrassed them or me. And not that I, I doubt, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting thing. And on top of that, like, especially because, like, audio editing is so hard uniquely difficult and so like but every podcast has to consider it at all you know what Mm -hmm. i mean especially like you know in um in other cities there are more kind of like networks that that Mm. take on the job of of teaching and understanding how to do production and editing and and thinking about doing levels before you're you record but um but that's not something that that's something for for me thinking about Chicago. That's something that people don't think about is like like most of the folks that you know that are making podcasts in Chicago, like their beginning stories are even more so the stories of like I figured this out on my own. And there's kind of like a bare knuckles quality that I think mm-hmm. Chicago has in in that regard, which I think is like it's it's the thing that um you know i always feel like i don't want to see it lose you know oh yeah i'd say definitely there like being midwestern there's a pride in learning things for yourself and like mm-hmm. there's a pride in messing up and then fixing it uh like i built my own website i have no idea how to like before that i had no idea how to do any of that and i feel like pretty confident with garage band now uh i'd definitely say it's like midwestern to be like yeah i conquered that mm-hmm yeah. I have no background in audio, but goddamn, <laughs> yeah, I didn't pay any fancy college kid to teach me about that. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's such a mood. That's such a Midwest mood. Oh yeah. Um. So I'm wondering. So you came down from. I'm. I'm interested in in your comedy as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you came down from Green Bay. 
Uh, did you move to Chicago for comedy? No, actually. I had just graduated at UW-Green Bay in social change and development with an emphasis in labor studies. Ooh. And directly at that point, Scott Walker became governor. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so remember that. Yeah. It sucked. sucked so much. It really did. Um, so my partner and I at the time, we had just gotten married and uh, we realized, you know, like... Well, he, he is also, he is a person of color, and growing up in Northeast Wisconsin, I was like, well, you know, there's no jobs for us here in progressive politics. Do you want to get out? And he was like, I'm already packing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we moved down to Chicago, and he started working with the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, and then a year later, I started working with United Food and Commercial Workers. Uh, so that's originally what drew us to Chicago, is like this strong, progressive collective here. And then I started doing comedy because um, I found out that, turns out, people really like the status quo. And having a job where you're in direct conflict with that and constantly getting thrown out of work sites and constantly having police called on you gets to be a bit of a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) My first month on the job, I don't know how many days I cried. I was like, everybody hates me. Yeah, no, that's a real, like, I I find that, like, the more and more we are like, oh, yeah, no, we're really, we're, like, learning stuff and discovering what we believe and, like, oh, yeah, no, we're, we have a, we're starting to understand labor issues and we're like, let's talk about it and let's talk about race. Like, let's, let's, like, really unpack these things. It's like, a lot of people do not want you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely agreed. Um, And I was, to get back to your question, I was working in Urbana, Illinois, and we were trying to organize a union at the craft factory down there. Um, So my day was trying to get older white men in their 50s to talk about how they felt about work. Um, One of them tried to, like, run us down with their car. (laughs) So it's not going well. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. I was also working with a crew of people that were, like, you know, maybe more like good old boy, old school union crew. Mm -hmm. You know, they went to the strip club together. Um, They would frequently make jokes that I should, like, offer dates or sex with the workers to get them to sign cards. And I just hated it. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Didn't want to spend any time with them. Um, So I started going to this bar and watching the open mic, and I had done one open mic in Chicago, and then I was like, you know what, this is where I'm going to spend all my free time, because it makes me feel so much better. (laughs) So it's definitely like a duality that's been present in my life for a long time, is, uh, you know, during the day you go out and fight, and then at night you make a room full of people laugh, and it feels very healing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is also, that's like such a... um interesting like metaphor especially for like what it's what i feel the best experience of horror is is it takes you away you know and i think that's something that like i don't know why we we don't quantify enough but like the value of i think i think people start to now but i think that a lot of times like growing up that was something that like folks didn't necessarily value as much but the value of something just like taking you out of what is a stressful and depressing situation, but the value of being able to just, like, be transported to another space, you know? 
Uh, it's so important. I don't really know where I was entirely going with this as far as the question. No, it's, true. A... it's true, though, because a lot of times when I watch horror movies, I feel better after them because I'm yeah. like, well, no one's stalking me and no one's stabbing any of my friends. Right. I feel, you know, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask about um, a thing that's that's always uh, interesting to me, and especially uh, in a city like Chicago with a with its own com- comedic history, um, is you know at like what you know you you mentioned, um, especially it's such an interesting uh, parallel because you know like being a woman in um, progressive politics has its own weight and being a woman in comedy has its own um issues i'm i'm just cu- kind of curious like what has been uh your experience with in those kind of in in these spaces that uh have a history you know like uh especially like like the bernie bro phenomenon and all this stuff like what uh, spaces that aren't traditionally kind to women yeah mm-hmm. uh well i think Hmm. Uh, well, you know, I grew up in Green Bay in like the punk scene. So that was already it was a space where it's more male dominated, mm-hmm. you know, so that's always kind of been present in my life. And I think, you know, it kind of shaped what my idea of feminism was, because when I was very young, my idea of feminism was like a rejection of all things feminine. Like I had a septum ring, shaved mm-hmm. head. I looked very masculine, you know, because to me that was power. Mm hmm. And I, it's not until recently, I'm in my late 30s now, uh, that I started to realize, like, there is power in femininity, and I look a lot more feminine now. Um, but it definitely did harden me, like, in the first couple of years of working, especially, you know, in the union movement, I was getting very cynical and very hard, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I started working uh, at UIC for the graduate employee organization there and working with my coworker, Don Teft, who's an amazing organizer. And she really opened me up to that idea of like examining myself and realizing what I had kind of created in myself in being presenting so hard and cynical and masculine all the time. And like, because I had never thought of myself that way. And now that I'm older, I'm more okay with being a bit more vulnerable or saying, like, I don't know. Or, you know, not having to, like, be in control and be, you know, like, dominant, you know, and realize there's a lot more power in working collectively. Um, So it's, especially in comedy, like, there's always that knee-jerk reaction to be, like, jealous when someone gets something that you want, you know, or, like, uh, just stupid shit like that that everybody does. And then you realize, like... Well, actually, it was... <laughs> okay, so going from labor into the comedy world was very odd for me because in labor, everyone shares best practices, you know, um, just I feel like there's a, a communal sense of how to do things. And so when I went into comedy, I was like, oh, that joke was great, but have you ever thought of, like, ending with this tag? Oh, and Oh, God. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. People did not care for it. <laughs> And it took me a while to realize, like, oh, this is, like, a fiercely independent art form. And um, people do not want to share best practices or contacts or anything like that at all. So it's definitely, like, two different worlds, but there is a lot of similarities between them. That's super interesting to me, just because it's something that I find... I mean, like, because I... I... uh, Like... 
I'm trying really hard to not go into like talking about the nuances of people using how the people use the word liberal. I don't know why that's where I'm coming from, but like mm. it's such an interesting thing when you talk about the like um, the di- the dichotomy the dichotomy the dichotomy <laughs> of comedy, the dichotomy of of having a life in comedy and labor because it is so like one is such a, the, this idea of like the collective versus the individual right and I, because I think that. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that um, th- realizing what makes something liberal is super interesting to me. And I think that's something that comedy is kind of really taken as a space is like figuring out like, OK, we want to celebrate individual identity and celebrate like free like freedoms and free speech and, and, and um, uh, representation and so many different important things. Um but that is not always the same space as thinking collectively and thinking communally. And mm-hmm. I think that's such an... I mean, because I know for me, especially, like, as a person who's, like, I'm very interested in socialist politics, you know, like, I um, I voted for Bernie in the primary, and obviously I voted for Hillary in the general, but my... <laughs> but that's, you know, I very much... We're artists. Like, we know a lot of people that we know are just kind of general liberal and i think that's such an interesting like you know straddling space and i think that's something that is super relevant to like the democratic party right now i feel like that's a lot of like the conversations i feel like these like two sides of that of of that space are having right now are so you know i guess so my question is um <laughs> is that like how what would you how would you apply and and let me know if this is like too um uh topical of a question but like <laughs> how would you apply like your understanding of straddling the spit the the comedic and the um uh labor organizing spaces to kind of like the the discourse being had right now in regards to um in regards to like the like the idea the like myth that identity politics and socialism are at odds with each other oh okay um well i would say do you want to go to a comedy show and see the same bullshit boring jokes you've heard people do for the past 30 years Mm -hmm. do you no. 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 Yeah. And that's why people are not excited about the Democratic Party. <laughs> like- <laughs> Hot fucking takes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we- that's like the clearest way. <laughs> Thank you. I think so too. I feel like. People need the Democrats now more than ever to, like, be out there and take a chance and say things that might rile people up. You know, there's so much thought to, like, we don't want to anger our blue consensus within the red state. We don't want to be too radical. We don't want to shake things up. And it's like, what have you got to lose? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like what is what is happening is that there are folks that um, I just feel like when you have folks that are like the the extremes of the left are like folks that just like want better infrastructure mm-hmm. and like better health care and like like that's so that's the like socialist extremes of the left but then like the liberal extremes of the left just like 
don't want black people to get shot by police every day. And yeah. that's it's because the right has pulled the conversation so far right, right that those things are radical. Like when you say it out loud, those are not radical no, demands. Right. Yeah. And they're not at odds with each other. I feel no. like in a lot of ways they they can I like that's kind of something that I remember it's always been a, like a thing that I find myself saying which is like I feel like identity politics and socialisms like once that those can go hand in hand into the sun. Like we that I think is I personally feel is that and I'm not a political science expert by any stretch of the imagination but i feel like that's if the democratic party came out tomorrow or or going into 2018 like really like getting behind that because that's like where i feel like the democratic party has had its like successes is in those spaces you know is like finding that like a lot of times like um things that are stereotypically liberal issues are also like extremely in, in, intertwined with things that are extremely labor issues. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I find so interesting, and this is something that like young people, and not just young people, I keep saying, I keep saying young people when I mean like the, <laughs> like, like you're eighty, <laughs> yeah, like when what what I mean are like working class folks, mm-hmm. like so. Um, I think that there's a real connection between what the Democratic Party is going through and what they should be doing and what working class folks are going through and going through and what they're trying to do. And that is kind of living in in a world where they're just like, it's it's very like fear based. Mm hmm. Because the Democrats are afraid of rocking the boat because they're they they were so sh- like rocked by the 2016 election and they're like we were so sure we were so so sure and now we don't really know anything and so now we're just trying to keep our heads down because we don't really know what to do because we were so sure that this was going to work and then it did not and mm-hmm. and it, I think that folks who feel like disenfranchised and taken advantage of and i don't really know where this thought is coming from but the the idea of no i do it's it's the idea of like what have you got to lose of like you know folks in bad situations like being afraid to ask for more being afraid to ask for what they deserve and it's like what have you got to lose like the worst thing you're gonna hear is no Mm -hmm. i think especially we're reaching a political moment Uh, where a lot of people have nothing left to lose because the right-wing agenda of, like, privatizing and sucking resources out of everything for their friends so they can have, like, sweetheart contracts for corporations is leaving us with nothing, you know? Like, public schools are being attacked, infrastructure hasn't been updated, like, bridges are actually collapsing. Uh, There's going to be nothing left for us when they all leave to go to their Swiss Alps homes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And then, I don't know, I just hope people wake up before it's too late. Yeah. So I, yeah. I so I, another thing that I I'm thinking about. Let's just throw out this conversation. I always can refer to myself as Captain Bummer. I just always take no, it here well, somehow. Like is, it's the is, end times. I'm, I'm finding a, I'm finding a theme though, which is like something we've kind of talked about through that, throughout this conversation though, which is it's something that I'm finding think thinking about the more and more that I meet organizers, which is in some ways you have to organize your emotional labor. Mm. Like you have to organize, like the things when you do have to or, like when you work on an organizational level, like like what you do. There, it seems to be that there is a level of, um, 
some would say balance, others would say compartmentalization, but, you know, of being able to go, I'm this person in this space. Mm-hmm. I'm that person in this space. I've, I have outlets in which I can escape from those things. Um, like, like how we were talking about, um, with horror and with, uh, and I, and I feel like that's what the roots of comedy, you know, I don't really entirely know where I'm going with this thread here, but it feels very <laughs> salient to just kind of like, it's, it's especially to the like the political moment right now too of just like everything is constantly overwhelming and I mm-hmm. feel like um, my understanding of horror is that it's a it's it's a there's a certain point where you're chasing those overwhelmed fear moments. Mm-hmm. I yeah I would definitely point to like the beginning of Trump's presidency. And in Chicago, every Tuesday, we were going to be out there, right? Right. And, like, as an organizer, I kind of ripped out a little bit of my hair. Because I was like, you you can't just assemble every week and not have demands. People get burnt out. Right. And, like, and that was part of their plan as well, is to, like, come in, kick in the door, and have so many crazy demands. No, no. Have so many wild <laughs> demands, um, you know, that it just blows us away and it desensitizes us. Because we feel absolute chaos. And I think they were really successful in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's all exhausting. <laughs> Everything is just exhausting. And that's why we have to watch horror mil- horror films and go to comedy shows. Yeah, how so what um in what way is your podcast stru- structured? So, um I have the guest on. I give a little or they introduce themselves, then I ask them a couple questions just like how do you feel about horror as a genre? What's the favorite what's the first horror movie you remember seeing? Uh, then I talk about the movie they chose, give a brief synopsis, and then I ask them, why did you choose this movie? Uh, from there, we talk about like the themes within the film. Uh, that's usually a pretty lengthy part of the podcast. And then, you know, we talk about like favorite moments and like hopefully they have like some anecdotes uh, from their life that they share in regards to the film. Uh, and then we talk about their current projects and then we wrap up. Cool. That's way more structured than ours. <laughs> I always love talking to other. Well, in the same way, it's like every podcast. See, that's a super interesting thing too. Like talking about individuals. Like every podcast is so different, and every podcast fills a niche and fills a need. I think that's something that's so Im- uh, important about the genre. Like, is that uh, it's it's that is just something that I'm finding myself circling around a lot is as a person who's personally trying to be more organized, like just trying to like have a clean home occasionally, like occasionally, but just thinking about the idea <laughs> of like independence versus organization. Like I, it's, I, I wonder how, oh, I wonder how, um, contrary those two things really are. See, I guess in, re- I, I'm more of personalization over organization. That's what sure. I like in my comedy and in the podcasting world. Like, I want to know why something's important to you. Yeah. And also with my organizing, actually. Like, okay, you have this workplace gripe. Why is it important to you? And what are you willing to do for it? Um, so, yeah, I guess it's all about us just being our true selves, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you had, <laughs> have you had that format from the get-go? Like, did you yeah. go into it knowing that that's what you were going to do? Yeah, actually, I did not know it'd work out so well. Because um, when I first sat down to write out an outline, I was really sweating it. And then over time, it got less difficult. And I realized I was just doing the same thing every month. 
Yeah. <laughs> but not like consciously going at it that way. Oh, so do you do it? How frequently do you record? I try to do one a month at least. Okay. Sometimes two a month. Halloween I try, or uh, October, I do one a week. Nice. Yeah, because cool. everyone, my listenership doubles in October. I believe that. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. That well, that because happens. didn't uh, you actually sent our friend Josh Bloody Mary podcast because he was looking for oh my a God, horror thank you. podcast? Of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you're at home, you're probably on your phone right now. Go like Bloody. Mary. Go give him, leave him a review on on iTunes. I'm just. I've been making a point to like. First off, anyone that I know that has a podcast, and you, if you don't know if I've left a review on your thing, I'll just leave you. I don't like it's. I, I will gladly always leave a review on people's podcasts. And if you're at home listening to the show and on your phone, you should also just go do that because mm-hmm. like people that are making podcasts deserve that. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like leaving a tip at a restaurant. You just fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like iTunes um, is such a harsh ma- master too, because it's mm-hmm. like you don't have enough yet to be recognized. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know people are out there. Right. <laughs> SoundCloud told me I have listeners in Venezuela. So there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Mm. No, that's like well, and it was so funny because like we get we get nothing from iTunes nothing from iTunes oh, yeah. but then we we published our podcast on this forum called Radio Public and like within a couple within days. like a, within a couple days we were like one of 25 podcasts to to watch wow, and we that's were like, awesome congrats we were like what Pod- iTunes doesn't give a shit about us and we're just like up there with like weren't we there with like a CBC podcast or a I don't remember WNYC or something like that we were like up there with like a pretty legit podcast and I was like where's our accolades iTunes <laughs> Radio Public likes us yeah. iTunes is like the cold distant weekend dad like, yeah <laughs> no love for you right that's exactly who he is oh my god like mm-hmm. no just Talk to your friends about how great you are. You don't need to hear it from me. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, uh, do you have anything upcoming? Do you have any projects coming up? Yeah. Um, actually, something I'm really excited about is I'm going to be a participant at the DePaul Pop Culture Conference on April 28th. I'm going to be hosting a few discussions there. Uh, and they are talking particularly about horror movies and slashers of the 80s. Um, but yeah, uh, the Graveyard Shift sisters are going to be there. The horror honeys are going to be there. So it's like a lot of big names that I'm very like scared to meet. <laughs> like They're so cool. Um, yeah. And then as far as uh, the podcast, you can find that on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, we're going to be recording one tomorrow night about um, Rosemary's Baby with Carly Ballerini. It's a Chicago cool. comic. And then as far as comedy, I'm taking a break right now, but I come back the end of March. I'm at the High Dive Comedy, which is at High Dive over on Chicago on Thursday, March 29th. And then I am making my Comedians You Should Know debut uh, April 4th, which is a Wednesday, downtown at Timothy O'Toole's. That's so cool. I'm really cool. excited. <laughs> got a lot coming up. Nice. Which I'm excited because post, I just had hip replacement surgery, so I have mm. been sitting on my couch for like four weeks <laughs> oh. oh my gosh <laughs> oof well i'm glad that you're like out and about and that you were able to get like able to get here safely and happily and yeah, yeah. it would all went really well i'm healing very nicely awesome mm-hmm. cool 
Thank you. All right, well, cool. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there's a lot of ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there, um, as well as all of our podcast episodes. Um, You can also keep up with us on Facebook. We've got a really, really active Facebook group called Sounding Board. Um, Otherwise, you can keep up with us. You can find us on Facebook under Scopy Magazine. Uh, That's our page. And on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+ play radio public and itunes podcasts <laughs> on scopy mag under scopy mag rather and we spell that s-c-a-p-i-m-a-g and as always i'm here to emphasize the importance of donations we run on a shoestring budget everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity so first of all thank you so much second of all we could use a little bit more help if you're in a position to give you can head to our website scopymag.com and go to our donate section there are a couple ways that you can give first of all you could do a one-time donation if you choose to do that you will have our eternal gratitude otherwise for as little as five dollars a month you can support our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media if you're interested in advertising opportunities, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.